This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The facts that will be presented are true. Scientists... Welcome to Paranormal Guys. I'm Chris. I'm Chad. And together, we're happy it's Halloween. That's true. Happy, happy <laughs> Halloween. That's right. Best time of the year. And by the time this show drops, Chad, it'll only be, what, it's less than a week till Halloween. That's right. Well, it's almost here. People yep. will be out trick-or-treating before you know it. <laughs> Working on costumes, getting those done. Girls are excited. Finishing decorations, which should have been finished weeks ago, but... The only thing that's kind of a little upsetting this year is I agreed to go along with the family costumes, which would be normally fine, but the girls decided they uh, wanted to be DC characters this year. Oh, well, isn't that a sin in your book? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Stanley has nothing to do with those. Occasionally you have to give in. Yeah. So, are you going as Wonder Woman, or...? My oldest wanted to be Supergirl. She's okay. obsessed with her right now. All right. My youngest decided she wanted to be Batgirl. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but she wanted to be Batgirl. Uh, my wife decided Wonder Woman. So once it, I got roped into being in the DC universe, you know, naturally it came down to, let's see, I'm a guy and I shaved my head. There's really only one choice. Uh, Lex Luthor. Exactly. Oh, your follicle deficiency. And believe me, I really wanted to find an old, like, checker jacket and a yellow, shiny, like a gold shirt mm-hmm. and a toupee and pull off the Gene Hackman. Yeah, the Gene Hackman. Lex Luthor, uh, Lex Luthor. from Superman. Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. You can do that. You can always do the old Super Friends Lex Luthor. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, all I'm going to say is there's a lot of purple and green. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Wanting to be bright. So how's the big going, Chad? Uh, it's been going, sir. Been on a course steady and true. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, that's what I what I thought. Just trying to get some ideas together for what kind of food to have for the coming gathering this uh, next weekend. Goulash. Goulash. Mm-hmm. Goulash. Well, because you know, ghoul is in the name, and I think it's the official food of Transylvania. Is it? I think I read that. Oh. I thought it was like, I don't know, cheese. 
There's some Transylvanian cave che- cheese. Cheeses, cheeses, the food cheeses. of Transylvania. Yeah, they put them in caves, and they age them over in Transylvania. Oh, I think a lot of countries do that. Oh, well, mine says Transylvanian cave cheese on the package. I just assumed. It says that, and then below it in real tiny letters, made in China. It's, <laughs> it says made in Russia. Transylvania cave cheese. She's Transylvanian cave cheese from Russia. It's not early cheese, Chad. I'd be careful. Yeah, it's plastic. Little plastic, uh, <laughs> little plastic parts. They just melt together. Made of official plastic vampire fangs, probably. Well, as long as it goes good on a little, you know, some crackers. Well, it would be on a hamburger. Then it's probably fine. also made in China. Well, I mean, could be. It's true. Oh, but anyway, Chad. Yes, sir. Tonight's show, mm-hmm. we are once again forgoing the Paro news stories. Oh no. They will be back, don't worry, loyal yeah. listeners. Oh, yeah, don't want to lose those. <laughs> but tonight, being we're less than a week out from Halloween, Chad, I thought we might talk about the history of Halloween. The hauntingly historical something of oh, Halloween? I don't know. Your alliteration skills are not up to par. No, not really. We did this, the Mothman episode, the Witch episode, mm-hmm. and now this one. I think it's one of those, people kind of have a general idea of some stuff they've heard or read here or there where Halloween may have had its origins, but not a real firm grasp of You it. feel like they're not getting the Halloween three season of the witch treatment on it? I I think that most people don't realize that my people gave them Halloween. No. The Germans? No, Chad. Oh. That's right. You're still trying to say you're Irish, aren't you? Mm. Mm. Oh, which, uh, by the way, speaking of Germany and Ireland and everything, I'm going to do this, Chad. Yes. We're going to see if this fails or not, but okay. going to give a little props to Karlstad, Sweden. Karlstad, Sweden? That's right. Uh-oh. Apparently hmm. we have a fan in Karlstad. Oh, well, hello, Karlstad, Sweden. And once again, it's from Sweden, mm-hmm. so I'm pretty sure it's the band Ghost is listening I, to the I show. I don't think Papa Meredith has listened to the show, <laughs> sir. You hush. Don't think he has. Either him or a name of school. I don't care. But some member of Ghost is listening. But we digress. Yes. Once again, we're good at that. So, Chad. Yes, Chris. What do you know about Halloween? I know that Halloween predates a lot of... Uh, everything. Everything, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stuff to Halloween. I Over the many years, I've read a lot of books, watched a lot of specials, and the uh, convoluted... True history of Halloween is usually just filtered with candy, corn, and um, paper masks and <laughs> plastic and all that stuff. And now adult Halloween parties, um, you know, all that stuff that they like to push now that right. really doesn't celebrate what the holiday was, how, how it began. Exactly. Here we go. You heard of the uh, Celtic people, Chad? I have. And here, here, this has been a little point of aggravation for me for a long time. Anybody that's a fan of a certain NBA basketball team, <laughs> it's not Celtics. Yeah, it's I know. Celtic. I know. Damn you, Larry Bird. Anyway, but yeah, the Celts uh, lived in the area that's now Ireland, UK, and Northern France around two thousand years ago. That's been a while. Little ba- little waves back. And they celebrated the beginning of the new year around November 1st, give or take. 
couple of days. <laughs> Your measurements may vary. Sometimes their cell phones were off. That's right. A bit. They didn't know what day it was. They were just like, ah. Tower to tower. I think it's November. I think it's November 1st. Yeah, whatever. And that marked the end of summer and the harvest for them. It also marked the beginning of winter, which to them was a dark, cold time that they associated with death. Exactly. <laughs> Winter's coming. Winter is coming. The Celts also had the belief that on the night before New Year, mm-hmm. which they referred to as, you may have heard this, Samhain. 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 Not yeah. Sam Hain. No. No, that was in <laughs> Ghostbusters. The animated That's right. real Ghostbusters. Yes, Samhain. The boundary between this world and the other world became thin on that night, Chad. Much like your hair before you shaved it. Oh, I was like, it's pretty thin. Yeah. When this boundary became thinner, it allowed what they called the Ease-She. Hold on a minute. The what? Ease-She. Ease-She? Yes. That was uh, kind of the old Gaelic word that they had that referred to spirits or the fey folk. Oh, okay. And it allowed them to come to our world a lot easier. Cool. The Ishi were respected and feared, and it was thought that a sacrifice or offering was needed to ensure that the people and their livestock would survive the winter. Mm-hmm. You don't want to tick off a fairy. <laughs> Not an Ishi fairy. No. <laughs> so what the people would do, they would leave food, drink, or even portions of their crops outside overnight. What about cash? Anybody getting money? I don't think they left cash. Oh, okay. I don't know if the Celts were big uh, currency people. Didn't have some Celtic cash? <laughs> Shamrocks. Shamrocks, that's right. Uh, they also believed that the ghost of the dead returned home on this night. Mm-hmm. And even though they were the ghost of your dearly departed loved ones, the ghost would cause trouble and damage crops and just general mayhem if they weren't appeased. So people would set a place at the dinner table and by the fire for them. Make them feel at home. Sometimes you don't want living loved ones in your house, much less the dead Exactly. Because, I mean, the living ones you could kick out if it's a spectral one. How are you gonna, Leave! How are you going to kick him out? Leave now. You drink and do this every year. I mean, you can't push him. Yeah, that's true. Your hands go right through him. <laughs> Touch him in the wrong place. Ooh! Spirits. What was that? It's not Christmas and I don't need a goose. <laughs> Somebody called me right in bells. <laughs> you uh, took your measures to ensure that your departed loved ones were happy and had a little place at the dinner table and had a comfy spot by the fire. And after making sure that the spirits of fairies and ghosts had their offering and they felt at home, everyone would go gather around large bonfires mm-hmm. that most of the time were kind of sacred, like the druid priests would... Uh, oversee these did they have marshmallows back then I think they did Celtic I think they called them bog mellows though were they bog oh yeah I can see that yeah bog mellows uh, so the people would gather around these these uh, large bonfires to burn offerings of crops and animals to the Celtic gods and goddesses the funny thing is e- even though by this point you supposedly made all the ghosts and spirits and fairies happy and they weren't supposed to pick on you on the way out to the bonfire to see your buds and everything, Chad? Yeah. You might just run into one of the ghosts or entities, if you want to say that. Then what happens? Well, the best way to avoid that is to dress up like one of them. The hell you say. Exactly. Because, you know, they're floating around. They go, oh, hey, look, there's Bob. 
from, they call <laughs> from, him Bob because he does this there's motion. There's Bob from accounting. He's fine. <laughs> Bob lost his legs and bled to death, so we call him Bob. So if you looked like one of them, they just leave you alone. They w- they weren't that smart a ghost, apparently. Huh. Like, oh, we know you. Get in a little costume, avoid the ghosts. So you dress up. You do. I'm seeing a pattern here. Getting a little pattern there, leaving yeah. stuff on the doorstep. Yeah. Dressing up. Treats. Burning dressing animals. Up. Burning animals alive. Oh, wait. That... wait. <laughs> I don't think that one came into play. Yeah, wait. Sorry. That... Speaking of burning, just to oh, interject the story. Yes. Here. Did you hear about the guy that rescued the dog from the house recently? Was the house on fire? Is this where we're making a connection? He, he thought it was because he was on LSD. So he crashed through the neighbor's uh, fence. <laughs> nice. Broke into the house. Save the dog. Please, and when he, he's holding the dog. Please tell me that they were like just watching TV or something, just hanging out. I, I don't know. I didn't hear what the people at the house were doing, if they were even there. Wow. But the cop showed up and the guy's standing out there all proud because he saved this dog. Nice. From, <laughs> the dog was probably sleeping and comfortable. What the? <laughs> Son of a... <laughs> so yeah, just burning house made me think of it. Okay. Trick or treat. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We digress again. Sure. By the middle of the first century AD, Rome had conquered most of the Celtic lands, and in the 400 years that they ruled there, two Roman festivals got incorporated into Samhain. Okay. Now, one thing I have heard about the Romans, though, they were pretty cool about taking over a place. Like, as long as you just went, yeah, we're we're Rome, that's great. They would kind of leave you alone. Have you ever been to one of their casinos? It's freaking amazing. Caesars? Like Caesars? Yeah. Yeah. Buffets. <laughs> Buffets? Yeah. Centurions oh. greeting you right at the front door. Well, the first day that they incorporated into Samhain was Feralia. It's a day in late October when Romans would commemorate the dead. The other day, Chad, was a day to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. <laughs> Pomona. I've had Pomona before. And her symbol was the apple. Okay. Then in May of 609 AD, Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs and began the Catholic Feast of All Martyrs Day. Okay. A hundred years after that, give or take, Pope Gregory III expanded the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs and moved the festival from May 13th to November 1st. Okay. Then again, in 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Souls Day to honor the dead. And if you read a lot of the stories on the history of Halloween and everything, this is where people kind of point out that this is where you can kind of see that the Catholic Church was starting to kind of try to weed out the Celtic religions. Mm-hmm. So, cause you know, they gave them a similar, but a church sanctioned event, uh, because they even celebrated a lot the same as they did a Samhain with bonfires, parades, costumes, and the like. So did that just roll from Halloween to Deo de los Muertos? So that'll just roll right together there. <laughs> it's right. They were just like, we'll get everybody. We'll just get everybody. But no. So as of right now, you know, a thousand AD, You've got Samhain uh-huh. on October 31st. Okay. Then November 1st, you have All Saints and Martyrs Day. Gotcha. Then on November 2nd, you have All Souls Day. Wow. 
That'd be a heck of a like six day weekend or That's something. Right. I mean, that you in. get extra days off if one of them falls on a Saturday. They or... need those. <laughs> they need to change that. They do. I think so. I saw an article a week or two ago online that said people 40 and over should only be required to work, I think it was four-hour days. I think you're absolutely right. I was in total agreement with that article. I think the four hours should be optional. (laughs) Four-hour days, three days a week. And a one-hour lunch. That's right. And two 15-minute breaks. That's right. You still get those breaks (laughs) and an extra 15-minute wellness break. That's right. Now, here you you go, Chad. All right. See if you can follow this one. I'm all ears. All Souls Day, which, as we said, in 1000 A.D., the church made November 2nd All Souls Day. Okay. Was also referred to as All Hallows or All Hallowmas from the Middle English All Hallowmesa, which means All Saints Day in Old English. (laughs) So the day before All Souls Day, Samhain to the Celts began to be known as All Hallows' Eve. Or uh, Halloween. Yay. Marketable. It is. Trademark. <laughs> Copyright. A little bit before, uh, you remember our friends, the spirits, fey folk, and the ghosts we were talking about, Chad? Like David S. Pumpkins? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> By the 15th century, some enterprising people had decided that if they dressed up like one of those beings, they could receive the, their offerings on their behalf. Really? Yes. Hmm. You dress up like one of the people that's supposed to be getting an offering and go to the door and say, hey, I'm here for Bob from accounting. So it's like basically if they didn't make us do direct deposit, I could go pick up your paycheck. Exactly. Yeah. Chad's here on my behalf. I'm dressed up like Chris. So um, if the visited household gave food or other offerings, then they would expect good fortune for the coming year, Chad. But if not... Misfortune. Oh, crap. And from the 18th century on, playing pranks while dressed as one of these malignant spirits was becoming commonplace. Hmm. So, see another pattern there? Ancient toilet paper. Exactly. Have these rotten eggs! (laughs) It's only slightly used and it will stick to your window pane! I'm putting slices of this bologna on your car. <laughs> That's not my bologna. Oh. You know, while while you're out wandering around imitating spirits and ghosts at night, Chad. Yeah. It, it was going to be dark. Mm-hmm. And you might need something to kind of light your way down the path. It's not a burning cross, is it? Hopefully not. <laughs> so, why not use something that was already associated with one of these ethereal beings, Chad? And I believe you uh, have a little story about an old Irish myth and a guy named Stingy Jack. You'd be referring to Jack, would you? Hey. Hey. Well, let's talk a little bit about Jack. I do well, let's en- do. I do enjoy this story. Jack was not a good person. He was a liar. Do you want me to do this with an Irish accent or just... Please no. You sure? <laughs> yes. Jack was not a good person. <laughs> he was a liar, a cheat, and perhaps a thief. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> he was... One evening, I was walking down the road, Jack came upon the devil. Well, I'll be f***ed. <laughs> well, it's all up in our <laughs> bum now, isn't it? Uh, who told Jack he was there to take his soul to hell? Okay. <laughs> all right, then. 
Are you are you good? Yeah. Okay. Jack agreed to go with the devil if only he could have one last drink from the tavern. The devil agreed to this. However, when it came time to pay for the drink, Jack admitted that he had no money. Not a pity to his name. But convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin to pay the bill. Well. Why didn't the devil just make money? This is, this is where the story gets a bit convoluted. Well. As soon as he did, Jack snatched up the coin and put it in his pocket, which also happened to contain a small crucifix. Oh. Or crucifix. <laughs> the crucifix prevented the devil from returning to his original form. Jack eventually freed the devil, but not before he agreed to spare Jack's soul for ten years. I think I would ask for a longer yeah. term of time. Uh, you pretty much got him. I mean, yeah. Been like a decade. I've found that as you get older, it goes by pretty quick. Yeah. Ten years to the day later, the devil appeared to Jack again. Jack seemed to accept that it was his time to go to hell for good, so he got a retail job around Christmas. No. Just as the devil was preparing to take him, however, Jack made another request. This time it was for one last apple from a nearby tree. Once again, the devil agreed and climbed the tree to get an apple for Jack. Devil's pretty accommodating. Devil's kind of, um, what do you call it? Uh, Sucker. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think that meant not very bright in the Either story. that or he's got a bad rap and he's actually just that nice. Yeah. Oh, you want to, okay. There's whatever. <laughs> I just, you know how much of my time it takes during the day to do these things and, you know, <laughs> I made a personal attempt. That's right. Mm-hmm. Once again, the devil agreed and climbed the tree to get an apple for Jack. It was the most delicious cereal he ever had. Once the devil was wow. up the tree, Jack carved a cross into the tree, preventing him from coming down. Hey, what, what the, <laughs> what the hell are you doing down there, Jack? Uh, what's going on? <laughs> what is, you need to, that's where the term jacking me around came what from. What are you doing with that knife? Put that down. We're not going to get crazy here. <laughs> So Jack carved a cross into the trunk of the tree, preventing him from coming down, because devil can't fly or nothing. No, I mean, he can't jump out of no a tree. No wings. This is supernatural. Jersey devil could have done it. <laughs> the devil demanded to be set free, so Jack told him that all he had to do was take a small amount of what he had in this baggie. No, <laughs> wait a minute. Jack, uh, Jack only did so after he agreed to never take Jack's soul into hell, which he could have made that deal the first time. Right. But he wanted to see the devil again. Well, maybe, you know, right after Jack made that first deal and the devil took it so quick, mm-hmm. he probably had remorse. He was like, man, I got 10 years. I should ask for more. Because he caved on that 10 years pretty easy. No kidding. I'm telling you. So he's just been waiting these past 10 years. He's like, when he comes for me, I'm going to ask for an apple. That's right. <laughs> you know, and even though he was eating pretty good when he's eating all those apples, he claims he was eating. Eventually, his wicked ways and lifestyle caught up to Jack and he died. Well... As Jack prepared to enter heaven through the gates of St. Peter, he was stopped. Jack was told by God that because of his sinful lifestyle of deceitfulness and drinking and the fact that he had dealt with the devil himself, he was not allowed into heaven. Jack then went to the gates of hell and begged to be let in. The devil upset with Jack because of his trick that he had played on him and keeping his word to never take Jack's soul, he wouldn't let Jack into hell. Huh. You know, you would think, once again, I think the devil gets a bad rap. Because, I mean, he's he's really accommodating to Jack. Okay, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll pay for your drink. Okay, I'll get you an apple, even though you tricked me once. And then once Jack comes and says, hey, yeah, I want to come to hell because they won't let me in heaven, the devil's like, no, man, we had a deal. Hey, I think Tim Burton's going to do a movie about this. He, he didn't go back on his deal. He, he didn't. He stuck he, to he's it. honest. That's right. I mean, no matter what they say, you know, he's pretty honest. 
He did, however, give Jack a single burning coal to remind him and to warn others of his deeds. Jack placed the coal into a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth ever since. People began to refer to the ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern, and eventually Jack-O-Lantern. They also began making their own versions of Jack's Lantern and placed them in windowsills and by doorways to ward off any malevolent souls, be they living or dead. Ooh. Ooh. Jack or Lantern. Jack O'Lantern. Jack O'Lantern. So there you go. Jack O'Lanterns. Irish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is true. Didn't use a potato. Well, the preferred things to use for the original Jack O'Lanterns mm-hmm. were turnips or rutabagas and occasionally beets or potatoes. Beets or potatoes. Yes. Huh. Well, those all seem really small. That's right, because I I actually have a turnip in the fridge right now that I've told my oldest daughter we're gonna we're gonna set to carving here in the next day or two. Do you think you're gonna really be able to accomplish that? Probably. Okay. Because everything you hear about actually trying it said that's that's the problem is hollowing that thing out. Got an attachment for a power drill. I gotta have a Dremel. There you go. <laughs> they didn't have Dremels back then. It should be much easier for you. That's right. They had sticks. I'm sure they had a knife. <laughs> Sticks, twigs, mm-hmm. sharpened animal bones. There you go. <laughs> Just stabbed it with his old KFC chicken bone. That's right. We have the foundations of Halloween, kind of most of the traditions going, mm-hmm. but it's not in America yet, Chad. It's got to come on over. Well, unfortunately, in colo- most of colonial United States, uh-huh. re- remember our last show? Yeah. Remember the uh, the Puritans? Well, guess what? They didn't like Halloween. But they were beat down by the Brock's candy people, weren't they? That's right. (laughs) You will eat candy corn. You will have this candy corn. Butterscotch. You will enjoy it. The rigid Protestant belief system kept Halloween from really doing much in New England. However, the southern colonies started to accept it. Uh, many of the customs and beliefs of different European ethnic groups as well as those of, of the American Indians meshed, and a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties. Public events held to celebrate the harvest where neighbors would share stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes, and dance and sing. Colonial Halloween festivities also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kinds. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivities were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the country. Well, how did we get it to be celebrated (laughs) everywhere in the country? In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. Uh The new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing Ireland's potato famine of 1846, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. Taking from Irish and English traditions, Americans began to dress up in costumes and go house to house asking for food or money, a practice that eventually became today's panhandling. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or trick-or-treating. Okay. Young women also believed that on Halloween they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple parings, and mirrors. thought that was a Vegas thing. Well, I mean, I think there's a show there with that, but... Oh, Okay. This is Halloween. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) 
in the late 1800s, there was a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. Parties focused on games, foods of the season, and festive costumes. Ooh. Festive. Festive. Parents were encouraged by newspapers and community leaders to take anything frightening or grotesque out of Halloween celebrations, Chad. We can't scare the children. Sounds like crap. That's right. <laughs> because of these efforts, Halloween lost most of its superstitious and religious overtones by the beginning of the 20th century. I'm kind of appalled by their ignorance. Uh, me too, sir. I think that that's just wrong. It is. I mean, witchcraft and ghosts and they're the reason for the season. The zoo has a celebration <laughs> for small children, and it says that it's merry, not scary. Who says that being scary is not merry? Um, exactly. By the 1920s and 30s, Halloween had become a secular but community-centered holiday. There were parades and town-wide parties that featured entertainment. Live secular bands. Haze. Nice callback. Yeah. Carl Stott in Sweden. Mm -hmm. Rock on. Despite the best efforts of many schools and communities... Vandalism began to plague Halloween celebrations in many communities during this time, Chad. Batman showed up. Vandals. By the 1950s, town leaders had successfully limited vandalism, and Halloween had evolved into a holiday directed mainly at the young. Due to the high numbers of young children during the 50s baby boom, parties moved from town civic centers into the classroom or home where they could be more easily accommodated. Between 1920 and 1950, the centuries-old practice of trick-or-treating was also revived. Trick-or-treating was a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share the Halloween celebration. In theory, families could also prevent tricks being played on them by providing the neighborhood children with small treats. Don't take my house, here's a Snickers. Get hopped up on candy. <laughs> a new American tradition was born, and it has continued to grow. Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday, the first being President's Day. But trick-or-treating is not no. what it once was. <laughs> no. No. that's. I kind of feel bad for my girls because they go to the zoo for that, which is all great. Yeah. We do trunk-or-treat at the yeah. town square, but there's none of that mom letting you out of the car at the end of the road and you just going up and down blocks and having 20 pound bag of candy and well we ours was definitely gorilla style because what we do is we'd go we'd get a ride into town we would do all the little neighborhoods cul-de-sacs all that clean that out and then we'd get really frisky and be like okay head out to some farmer's road here and the houses <laughs> would be like you know at least a couple acres apart sometimes a few miles and we'd do go dri drive driveway to driveway and by the time we wrapped it up i mean it was 11 o'clock oh yeah it you know at least and then still go home and watch like a movie uh-huh and hop up on candy and there were never any razor blades or needles and they still made homemade treats back then so you get popcorn, popcorn balls, balls. And you might get an you know an apple and yeah you know, so i mean it was definitely the, the, there was always the one elderly woman that would give you like a stick of wrigley's yeah well yeah sometimes or you get a penny or a penny a nickel penny, so, whatever yeah. but you know in the grand <laughs> scheme of things that was a, a small nuisance oh yeah but you could still back then take that penny and put it in a chiclet gum machine. And, and get, get a you, handful get of chiclets. Like, yeah, a bunch of chiclets. So it still worked out. 
you get those houses they gave up the full size candy bars. Yeah. So it's like, oh, whoa. You know, that's a rich neighborhood. That's right. You don't opt for the fun size. Mm-hmm. They didn't go for the number of pieces bag. Which I'm sorry, but that is not the size of fun. I mean, you get enough of them. Well, yeah. You don't get a lot of them. Then that. you got to worry about unwrapping all of them. And... Oh, now you're just being lazy. No wonder you have oh. sugar allergies. <laughs> sugar allergies? Yeah. Yep, good old Halloween. If you had to unwrap more candy, maybe you wouldn't need that insulin pen. <laughs> <laughs> got to exercise. Effort. The effort. Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Who's to say? Yeah, well, but, hey, look, it's a good thing that that metformin bottle, you just have to take the cap off, because if, if not, if you had to unwrap each individual one, you just go into a coma. Well, I mean, that's one of the safety mechanisms of diabetes or sugar allergies, uh-huh. since we don't use the D word. Yeah. Uh, I think it's neuropathy, is yeah, as you get worse, you can't feel your fingers and stuff, so it's harder to open candy. To open candy packages? I can't do it anymore. Wow. That's my theory. I, just, I can't. There's only so many of these tiny peanut butter cups that I can go through. I just want to. A couple of other little tidbits about Halloween and Halloween-related items there, Chad. Mm-hmm. Pumpkins. Sure. Because, you know, I mean, Irish came to America and saw their first pumpkin. And, you know, turnips were done Yeah, for jack-o'-lanterns. So I would like to think that the first Irish person that saw a pumpkin and found out it was hollow was just like, oh, good lord, look at how awesome that would be for our jack-o'-lanterns. Raven Vigora. Because <laughs> that's what I would, I wouldn't be like, oh, you could eat that? It makes a good pie? Great. I'd be, oh, jack o' the lantern would be jack so happy. You wouldn't want to be eating that after what I did to it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we heard about Stingy Jack. And how he became Jack of the Lantern, and mm-hmm. people started imitating his little turnip lantern. Jack the Swindler. And how people would use those to distract spirits from settling into houses and farms, and they would set them along roadways next to gates. So you would set those out anywhere you didn't want any of these wandering evil spirits to uh, go around. Uh-huh. And the celebration of Halloween in America didn't take off until waves of Im- immigrants from Ireland and Scotland arrived in the mid-1800s. Well, pumpkins are native to North America, Chad. So, it's not exactly known when the first pumpkin was carved, but the first mention of pumpkin jack-o'-lanterns comes at around the same time as Irish and Scottish immigrants. Ah. In 1866, the children's magazine Harper's Young People reported that a great sacrifice of pumpkins had been made for that year's Halloween celebrations. All the pies were in jeopardy. Pumpkins were screaming. Mm. Pumpkin carving grew more and more popular as the years went on. By the 20s, Halloween had been embraced throughout the United States. Parties and costumes became the norm, and trick-or-treating soon followed in the mid-1930s. As pumpkin carving grew into a multi-million dollar industry, American farmers began to examine the specific types of pumpkins they grew and bred new lines of the squash specifically for carving. I see. Massachusetts farmer John Howden developed the Howden pumpkin in the 1960s, and it's still the most popular carving pumpkin in America. I have never heard of a Howden pumpkin. I don't really look at types of pumpkins. I go, that one's good. That's a good shape. (laughs) So it makes you kind of wonder if most of the places that supply pumpkins people buy around this time of year, if those are indeed Howden pumpkins. They may be, because I... 
Now, I know there are different pumpkins that are good for pies and the sort, and there are ones that are better for carving but not eating as much. The thing I learned, uh, my youngest had a field trip the other day to a farm that grows pumpkins. Okay. And I learned more about pumpkins than I ever really wanted to know. All right. And really, the taste of the pumpkin has nothing to do with anything. It's the thickness of the flesh of the pumpkin. So you get one that's got thinner flesh, easier to carve, easier to clean out, but doesn't have a lot of stuff for eating in it. You find the ones that are typically better for pie making, they have a lot thicker flesh on them, so they're harder to carve, but more eaten. Wow. Exactly. (laughs) Did you throw a pumpkin at that person? If I had one on hand, yep. The very things that make the Howden perfect for Halloween, a thick stem, shallow ribs, thin flesh in relation to its size, make it less than ideal for eating. Meanwhile, varieties like the sugar pie, kabocha, and carnival make it better for eating and are enjoying a renaissance at farmer's markets and tables across the country. So I'm more like one of the latter. Yes. Okay. Thicker flesh. Thicker flesh. Not as carvable. That's right. Well, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, I guess. Unless you need emergency surgery. Apodectomy. Now, the field trip I was talking about, the only thing that came out of that that I did kind of have a moment of, ooh, was I did not realize that there is a type of pumpkin that is gray. It's kind of a grayish green color. I've seen those. And they said the name of it, and I forgot, but I'm thinking next year I'm going to have to grow some big old gray pumpkins. Because Robert's Farm has a very few of those, but they do. They're kind of, they're not as tall. They're kind of more, they're more wheel shaped looking. Yeah, they're more squatty. Right. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about because they always put us, like, people for whatever reason like these pumpkin stacks now. Yeah. And um, they always have a few of those stuck in the middle with the more squat right. gourds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and they're that nice gray with kind of a green cast to it color. Yeah. And in closing, Chad, I, I found this and thought it was a little interesting. And it's about the evil world of candy. Oh, no. That's right. Evil, evil candy. She doesn't dance anymore. But uh, today, when it comes to Halloween candy, a number of the most popular brands are enduring classics. Uh, enduring? Enduring. Well. For example, the first Hershey's Milk Chocolate Bar was produced in 1900, and Hershey's Kisses made their debut in 1907. Hmm. Company founder Milton Hershey was a pioneer in the mass production of milk chocolate and turned what previously had been a luxury item for the well-to-do into something affordable for average Americans. In the early 1900s, he also built an entire town in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, you'll say. Do you know the name of the town? That I you... bet it's Hershey, Pennsylvania. Ding, ding. I bet there's a theme park there. And he built that around his chocolate factory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in 1917, Harry Burnett Reese, oh, the monkey foreshadowing, character. moved to Hershey where he was employed as a dairyman for the chocolate company and later worked at its factory. Did you know you're not allowed in that theme park? I know. You have to have a blood sugar test before you go in. Inspired by Milton Hershey's success, Reese, who eventually had 16 children of his own, began making candies in his basement. In the mid-1920s, he built a factory of his own and produced an assortment of candies, including a certain little thing he called the peanut butter cup. Well... 
The uh, peanut butter cup in, was invented in 1928, Chad, and made with Hershey's chocolate. Oh, there you go. So you answered my question. During World War II, a shortage of ingredients led Reese to pull the plug on his other candies and focus on his most popular product, the peanut butter cup. In 1963, Hershey acquired the H.B. Reese Candy Company. So Hershey bought it back. So he killed him and took over. That's right. I'll have those peanut butter cups, damn you, H.B. <laughs> S-O-B-H-B. <laughs> now, in 1923, a struggling Minnesota-born candy maker, Frank Mars, launched the Milky Way Bar, which became a bestseller. I disagree with that. No, I do, too. Screw Milky Way. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's like Three Musketeers and Milky yeah. Ways are not my... No. No. In 1930, he introduced the Snickers Bar. There you go, Mr. Mars. Put some peanuts in that thing. <laughs> and... The Snickers bar is reportedly named after his favorite horse, George. No, it's <laughs> George. Huh? Snickers. Good old George Snickers. In 1932, he brought out the Three Musketeers bar. Frank's son, Forrest, eventually joined the company after a lot of running. <laughs> and he made a box of chocolates. Only to leave after a falling out with his father. I know what love is, Dad. I just kept running and running and running. You don't know how to make chocolate. Jenny. Forrest Mars. Wow, his kid. <laughs> his dad was like, I would name you Forrest. Forrest Mars. Forrest Mars. He's a smart man. Forrest Mars relocated to England, where he created the Mars Bar in the early 1930s. In 1941, he launched M&M's. Mars anticipated that World War II would produce a cocoa shortage, so he partnered with Bruce Murray, son of a Hershey executive, in order to have access to a sufficient supply of ingredients. So there you go, Chad, if you've ever wondered what M&M stands for. Mars and Murray. There you go. In closing, yes, we have to talk about one of my all-time favorite candy bars. Which is? The Kit Kat. The Kit Kat bar? I do love a Kit Kat. It was first sold in England in 1935 as a Round Trees Chocolate Crisp, and in 1937 was rechristened the Kit Kat Chocolate Crisp. The name is said to be derived from a London literary and political group, the Kit Kat Club, established in the late t 17th century. The group's moniker is thought to be an abbreviation of the name of the man who owned the shop where the group originally gathered. Since 1988... The brand has been owned by Nestle, maker of another perennial trick-or-treat favorite, the Nestle Crunch Bar, which debuted in the 1930s. It's scrumptious when it crunches. Not a big fan of the Nestle Crunch Bar. It's okay. I'm not a big fan of Nestle chocolate. Here's what I could never figure out. Yes. Why does Nestle Quick taste so good, <laughs> but Nestle chocolate <laughs> does not? Nestle chocolate kind of tastes like that, that do dollar bag of the... Foil wrapped Easter the eggs. Oil you get. chocolate. Yeah. That doesn't taste like it has all the milk. It's in got it. that hint of chocolate taste to it, but. But it's Hershey's not. chocolate syrup does not make chocolate milk that's as good as Nestle Quick. No. So there you go. It, Illuminati. I think it's all the bad. Conspiracy theories. You know, I think people need to get together a little bit more on this. Come, I feel like there's a lot. Come together. Right now. Over chocolate milk. So, Chad, Halloween. It is. And pumpkins and candy and... Trick-or-treaters. General mischief. It's the best time of the year. 
You know something that's almost good as pumpkins and candy and general mischief, Chad? Cocaine. I wouldn't know, but okay. <laughs> the, I bet it's the Paranormal Guys website. That's right, paranormalguys.com. You can go there and do all sorts of stuff. Uh, listen to the show, see groovy pictures of me and Chad, and things we've done, places we've been, things like that. You can sign up for an email alert to let you know when a new show drops. You can also drop us an email with any kind of comments, suggestions, critiques, reviews, anything you want to do like that, and especially something Chad likes. I like listener stories. That's right. I like to hear those a lot. If we get enough of them, which I've been begging for this for a while because a lot of them are short, uh, we're going to do a listener story show. That's right. So if you have any stories, I mean, from around Karlstad, Sweden. Sweden. (laughs) France. There's the name of a lake monster in Sweden that... I cannot pronounce that I was looking up one day. So yeah, send Chad some stories. There is also a little place on there that you can shoot us a little donation if you like the show. That's right. And if you don't like the show, also feel free to shoot a donation our way. This this is true. We are not fueled by some big faceless corporation. We're uh, uh, self-funded for the most part. Uh, We did get a donation from one of our listeners. Uh fairly recently i would like to thank mike mike did donate to the show uh thank you very much sir and anyone else that would like to make a donation please feel free i think chad uh, said he's going to name his firstborn child mike now sure okay cool so that you've got that going i mean my dad's (laughs) name was michael mike so you know nobody will know it'll be for you mike thanks for the money we we know yeah we'll know you me and chris will all know Another thing you might want to do is go over to our Facebook page, be facebook.com slash paronormalguys. Uh, that's another place where you can find out when the sh- when new shows drop and give us a like. Chad adds some interesting little uh, photos and tidbits here and there on Facebook quite a bit. Yes, our webpage does feature some of my uh, exclusive artwork now, too, that uh, Chris told me I had to do. And while you're there looking at our Facebook page, going over to facebook.com slash William Blanchard Soundtrack. Good old Billy B is the guy that does the music for the show and really came through and provided the spooky background music for this show. Yes. As we like to say, he's a musical genius. (laughs) He is. So, Chad. Yes, sir. Have a paranormal weeks. Yay. But no, I think, and you know, what, 